This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Three, two, one, Mark. Three, two, one, Mark. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. So today we are re-entering the tangled web of one Spider-Man. But not, not Tobey Maguire this time. We're jumping over to a Peter Parker with arguably better hair. It's Andrew Garfield's <laughs> It's Andrew Garfield's turn at bat. And I've said it before and I will say it again, he remains one of my favorite iterations of Spider-Man himself. How you can tell me this suave, cool skater boy was the bullied one in school is beyond me, but we'll get to all of that as we cover the web slinging action of the amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was just so he was just so darn, you know, mid-aughts cool, you know? It just... Mid-aughts cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the hair and the and the, the nerdy cute, yeah. And the jacket, yeah. It, just that, that vibe that he had going as Parker, like... And also the fact he stood up to Flash, like... Peter Parker doesn't stand up to his bully. He gets bullied. And then he kind of puts his head down and goes, yeah, okay, yeah. And and Flash, you're telling me that that kid bullies Andrew Garfield? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. This movie had some mm, glaring, weird things happening with it. But you know who really wanted to be there was Andrew Garfield. I don't think there's been an actor oh, yeah. as passionate, at least, about a role that he got to be than Andrew Garfield. <clears throat> he wanted to be Spider-Man, and he got to be Spider-Man. And it's a little bit disappointing that his run at everyone's friendly neighborhood, Webhead, wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah, Sony, Sony made executive decisions that really hurt the franchise i'd say overall uh i guess before we really get into all of it genesis it's been a minute you want to remind everybody if you're looking for a spoiler free zone sorry lovelies you are in the wrong place thank you jen yeah and where are we of course to begin but in a flashback (laughs) (laughs) it's a marvel staple at this point because we just can't have an origin story without first telling the origin story to the origin story. And we've been here before. Yeah. Yes, we have. So, Peter's father's study has been burgled. And this results in his parents gathering some hidden documents and dropping little Peter off at his Aunt May's house. And they disappear into the night, never to be seen again. 
we'll follow this tangent line back later in the story, but for now, we flash back to an older Peter Parker at his high school. <laughs> we don't stay anywhere too long with this movie. No, we don't. I've scenes flick, you know, kind of in and out real fast on this. So, you know, Peter has a crush on this cute girl, Gwen Stacy, and, you know, maybe she has some feelings in return for him. And and they tell this really cute, compelling high school boy story. We're reliving, of course, the, the origin story. Shenanigans kind of ensue for the plot here of... Uh... Parker learns, you know, that his father was friends with a renowned Dr. Curtis Connors, who was a scientist at Oscorp. Oh, hey, look, I just name dropped like three big things in Spider-Man's life that happen all the time. All of that interconnectivity just didn't exist in the old stuff. But anyway, so Peter decides, you know, instead of reaching out, being a normal human being i'm going to sneak into a high-tech genetics lab and poke around a little bit and while he's in there <laughs> poked around a little too much and uh god i the thing that i remember too about about watching that spider bite was they made that spider freaky looking like that spider drops out of the ceiling and bites you i'm not just gonna smack it and brush it off you know uh, no, that, I'm going to run for the freaking hospital because that thing was just wrong. That was a super <laughs> spider if I have ever seen one. Like, it looked electrifying when it bit him. Like, ow. But no, he just kind of brushed. He's like, it's not like he's in a top secret high security genetics lab where, you know, I don't think they just keep around any normal spiders, but whatever. <laughs> right. And he kind of wakes up the next day and oh hey look i stick to walls and i can bench press two trucks suddenly it's like you know night and day worlds changed lo and behold i'm spider-man yeah and i think they rushed through this sequence a little bit just because there was an awareness that we had been here before oh i yeah i guess i can't imagine what the last three movies were about at all yeah i yeah, they made some choices with this one. I feel like when they presented us this new, younger Peter Parker, they wanted to give him his own fresh beginning, but it was a little bit jarring. And then just to blaze through the origin story was a little bit irresponsible. Because very, very quickly get into some Spider-Man action, because at the genetics lab, while Peter was going through his father's notes, he found something called the decay rate algorithm, which was what Connors was missing in his experiments that he was working on in order to try and regenerate limbs. First, they were running tests on mice, but with Connors being an amputee, obviously his goal would be to regenerate that limb for himself. Uh, this, all of these things like with Peter working with Connors and also working out what his newfound abilities are, keeps him away from home a lot and he starts ignoring his responsibilities at home. At one point, a point of argument coming in that Peter wasn't there to walk his Aunt May back from the station. And they argue and 
Peter storms out, and then we get to our Spider-Man origin, wherein (laughs) wherein (laughs) Uncle Ben does not survive. This is one of those moments that I believe we've mentioned is is kind of a keystone moment in a Spider-Man origin story. There has to be a key loss that is a jumping off point for uh, their leap into heroism, as it were. So a man robs the convenience store and Peter allows him to escape because the cashier had been kind of rude to him at one point. And Uncle Ben, who went after Peter, ends up being shot by the robber. And Peter arrives just in time for Uncle Ben to die right in front of him. Yeah, because we really needed to pull that trauma heartstring there. Just, you know, really give it a good old rip. Yeah, it's the Spider-Man origin story. Uncle Ben, something bad has to happen to Uncle Ben. And it's just where we are at this point. We had to tell this story again because we're retelling the same origin story that we've already seen. But I digress. It's a new story. It's a new new Peter Parker. Peter uses his new superpowers to track down the criminals that match the description of the guy who gunned down Uncle Ben. He also creates the mask and his suit. He builds web shooters and becomes Spider-Man. I mean, I will give them the credit on this one, like, because Maguire's was all biological, right? And and we'll touch on it when we get to No Way Home. But, you know, we don't have the scene showing us his technical aptitude, because that's one of the most technical things on Spidey is his web shooters. Getting the compression rates right, getting the, the nozzle flow correctly, like, all of those things to make Spider-Man work are very technical that we just didn't get with Maguire Spidey. So I did appreciate this one. And I loved the scene where like, I believe his room is just like covered in spider stuff. And you're just like, I mean, it's an homage to um, something else naturally, but it's, it's still pretty funny. I also liked at points where he's mixing web fluid in his high school chemistry lab. Like what, what high school has budget for whatever the heck he's mixing up? Because I know what my high school chem lab was. We had... Yeah. It, it, I was not becoming Spider-Man in my high school chem lab. Maybe Walter White. No, I was lucky to play with, like, <laughs> dry ice, okay? Like, you were handed very specific ingredients for your lab to do for that, you know, whatever experiment you were doing. You didn't get any more, and you certainly didn't get free time to, like, mess around with Bunsen burners and, you know, the odd chemical here or there. Like, everything got signed out, and it was tracked to the, you know, microgram. So, yeah, I mean, it's New York, and apparently, you know, being a gifted kid in New York means you basically just get free reign over a chemistry lab. Whatever. Movie shenanigans aside... To go back to Peter's personal life, Gwen Stacy invites Peter over for dinner at at her parents or at her house, and he discovers that Gwen's father is none other than the police captain, and the police captain doesn't really like Peter's alter ego. Awkward. 
Yeah, in classic awkward fashion, he definitely uh, definitely doesn't argue with her or with his girlfriend's father <laughs> about <laughs> his personal opinions on one Spider-Man. Um, it gets super super awkward. Peter then reveals that he is Spider-Man to Gwen. Because that's the responsible thing to do. You tell your girlfriend that you're Spider-Man, the, the guy that her father absolutely hates. Yikes. Yeah. Like, this Spidey kind of... I mean, it is a responsible thing to do, to tell someone, you know, hey, I I run out in the middle of the night and try to stop crime using superpowers. I mean, that's that is a conversation that responsible heroes in relationships should have just probably a good fyi to do but like your your high school girlfriend that you really haven't been dating that long like <laughs> yeah there's that but you, dude, homie you're 16 calm down <laughs> you're 16 you look 26 and you're 16 <laughs> like that's that's a whole different issue with hollywood whatever you want us to believe that this grown man <laughs> is in high school. Listen, I believe that Andrew Garfield is in high school way more than I believed that Tobey Maguire <laughs> was in high school. <laughs> is that fair? Yeah. In the same moment, Connors is starting to have some success with the lab rats using lizard DNA in his limb regeneration experiments. And... His superiors want him to begin human trials immediately because that they're the big evil science corporation. Of course, they have to push things way too fast. Connors refuses, and you know he he says this could put a lot of innocent people at risk. So again, the logical thing for big evil science corporation to do is to fire the guy that has been doing all the research. Well, you know, because he's also uh, now a whistleblower potential problem so naturally they're gonna fire him mm -hmm. and then naturally the correct course of action is shoot yourself up with your own experimental serums and see what happens next mm -hmm. which is exactly what he decides to do and he gets his arm back <laughs> uh, yeah among other things <laughs> uh, tail green scales uh no need to wear clothing i guess you know the basics yeah, so he's transformed himself into a giant humanoid lizard. The lizard... Why did they have to make him naked? At least in the comics, he wore the lab coat, right? Uh, lab coat, shredded shirt, and shredded pants, even. Connor spent a lot of time barefoot whenever he wasn't the lizard in the uh, animated show. <laughs> Which, in a New York sewer, is very bad for your health. Ew. We don't need to talk about that. Well... He attacks the Williamsburg Bridge, and Peter, now officially calling himself Spider-Man, defends all of the people from their attack. After this battle, the lizard learns that Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and decides to attack the school. During this sequence, we get our Stan Lee cameo, and I just love how he is so blissfully unaware of the chaos ensuing around him. I mean that one was a, that one was a fun scene to watch. It was interesting at least because mm -hmm. they they've been getting more and more creative with uh, Lee's cameos as time had gone on here. So like this one, in terms of like 
like coolness basically or like like oh yeah that scene it sticks out i'd say it's in, probably in the top five mm-hmm. of lee's cameos mm-hmm. for sure it was fun it was fun to see and the action going on around him was very good having the lizard and spider-man having this very dynamic fight scene where spidey's pulling things from the forward part of the frame and bringing them to the back part was really interesting and a, and a really cool way to incorporate lee and the realities of the area with what was in effect just a very expensive cgi fight (laughs) (laughs) true yeah i mean unfortunately like even with all the fists flying you don't really have a fight scene to break down do you not not really cgi fights are one of those things that are a little they're a little bit difficult to break down in a a classical fight scene point of view i guess because there's so much that they do that's just not possible there's no way to break it down in a way that that makes sense you'd have to dumb it down so so much that there's just there's nothing there at the end of it mm-hmm. but the lizard decides that the solution to eliminating weakness is to turn everyone into lizards yeah, the lizard brain is not exactly what one would call a scientific genius, even with it coupled with Connor's, you know, massive intellect. It's still like, I'll just make more lizards. We can make more lizard people, and that will be perfect. I mean, he's he's gone off the deep end, and that's that's what it is. That's how this whole thing works out. I recently went to a dinosaur exhibit at a museum, and there was... A part of it where they showed the brain cavity of all the different dinosaurs. And dinosaurs and reptiles by proxy have very small brains in comparison to the rest of their bodies. Like the human brain being as large of a portion of our body mass as it is, is just incredible. It's part of why humans, um, as well as like elephants and things like that, are so massively intelligent comparatively to other, other life. Reptiles are dumb. <laughs> this is from someone who who loves reptiles. I think reptiles are incredible and they're amazingly well adapted, but intelligence was not something they needed to survive. And so they are very small brain compared to the size of their bodies and their brains are also typically very smooth. The more folds a brain has in it, the more intelligent the creature or whatever that brain inhabits is supposed to be. Reptiles literally have little beans sitting in their brains. They are almost completely smooth, and they're very small. <laughs> survival is survival is the, the base instinct, and survival and making more of yourself. So I suppose this tracks that the lizard just wants to make more lizards. Yep. It's just, it has the, uh, just has a bigger intellect in figuring out how to do that. It's not just go you know, find a fertile female, it's, um, turn this giant weapon thing into, uh, turn the serum into an aerosolized gas that will turn everyone who breathes it in into a humanoid reptile. That's perfect. There's a manhunt after the attack on the school where the police are, they're after Spider-Man and they're also after the lizard. Eventually, they corner Spider-Man, and Captain Stacy discovers Peter's identity, because he's just really good at hiding that super important secret identity. He's actually worse at it than Maguire. 
<laughs> like of the two, it's like it's really bad. I mean, everyone figures out that he's Peter Parker, and it's just like uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Captain Stacy does end up letting him go in order for Peter to be able to go and stop the lizard, and the lizard is at the Oscorp Tower to release a chemical cloud to force everyone to become a lizard. I love this. It's like it's like the uh, Shroud mission on Tuchanka in Mass Effect 3. <laughs> yeah, only in this case it's uh, stop the reptiles from breeding. <laughs> so Gwen creates the genophage. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> end of analogy <laughs> but oh right so here we've got high school intern in chemistry lab uh figures out complex regenerative serum and creates counter agent to it in two and a half hours yeah something like that hey they go to a very special school they're incredibly gifted students don't take that away from them. You know, I was a gifted kid, and you know what I've got for my troubles? PTSD. <laughs> Basically. Generational trauma. Emotional damage. Anxiety and depression. <laughs> Heartburn, nausea, indigestion. There you go. So, you know, uh, I don't see me just whipping out uh, counter agents to super villains on the fly based off my intern job at a genetics lab superhero science took connor's years to figure out how to do make his regenerative serum takes her two hours to figure out how to counteract it she's just a smart cookie uh yeah okay uh peter disperses the antidote all of the people that got lizard gassed breathe in the cure and they return to normal but the lizard doesn't turn back to normal before he fatally wounds Captain Stacy. And with his dying breath, Captain Stacy asks Peter to stay away from his daughter. In true Dennis Leary fashion, stay away from my daughter and dies. <laughs> like, man. What? <laughs> but what doesn't Peter Not do? take care of my daughter. Not, you know, make my kid happy. Not any of that. No, no, no. No, no, it's get the hell away from my daughter. But what does Peter not do? That. <laughs> that. Because like 10 minutes into pretending like he doesn't want to talk to Gwen anymore, he says, you know, I, I, I think, I, you know, I think we should be together after all. Because I can't, sometimes you can't keep promises or something. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible line to end on. Some promises aren't meant to be kept. Buddy, that's a terrible lesson to teach impressionable youths that your word doesn't necessarily have to be followed through on. Like, uh, that was a very bad place to end this movie on. But oh, wait, we're not quite done yet. Yeah, we got a mid-credits scene. Yeah, Sony learned a trick or two. Connors isn't dead. And he's he's returned back to normal, and he speaks with someone in the shadows, who asks if Peter knows the truth about his father. Connors demands that Peter be left out of everything, and the man disappears. And that's all she wrote. Ugh. 
poor Andrew Garfield deserved so much better than what he got. Yeah. Yeah. Because he is a, I mean, hands down, he is a very good, good Spidey. He's got, he's got the comedic timing that just wasn't quite there with Maguire's, I would say. Like, we're just comparing the two of them. Maguire was a better Parker. Garfield's a better Spidey. For sure. He's just got, he's got the quips. He's got the, he's got the know-how. He's got, he's just got that connection almost to it all that it it felt natural rather than, um, I'm not going to say Maguire's humor was stilted, but it was, it was just played a little too serious. Like his Spidey, Raimi Spidey was serious. Yeah, the the scene that comes to mind for me is when he's hunting down the criminals that match the description for the guy that killed Uncle Ben, and one of the guys pulls a knife and he goes, "Please, no, anything but small knives. It's my only weakness." <laughs> You're right. I remember that scene. This is part of the trailers. <laughs> I also remember the trailer saying uh, things like, "The origin story has never been told before," and I'm like, "No, you did ten years ago. Please stop." Please, please stop. Help. Yeah, so this one was not bad, but it wasn't great. And it could have been. Because you had a cast that wanted to be there. And I think a fresh cast that had the opportunity to do great things. I thought that the the chemistry between Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield was fantastic for Peter and Gwen. They were given a very awkward script, I feel, from someone who's never written teen romance ever. Yeah, no, and that was a highlight of this movie, was their, was their chemistry. It's, that one felt natural and good as well. Mm-hmm. And you were rooting for them, like, and you didn't want Captain Stacy to tell him to leave Gwen alone. Because you're like, no, this is actually a good relationship. It's fun. She supports him. She's in on it all from the beginning. This could be really nice. We all know how this ends. We'll talk that later. So much potential. But that's really, that's all I have for the movie part. It was, it was good where it was good. It had its moments. It had its, the highs and it had its lows. And ultimately, I think what we're learning with this is that there are worse places to be than middle ground. And that's about where I am with this one. It's a middle ground movie. I'm not upset if it goes on. On that lovely note, uh, let's roll into our mid-break. All right, welcome to the mid-break. We'd like to thank everyone that has stuck with us this long and are a part of the Patreon. A big shout-out goes to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. You too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description. And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or rating on Spotify. Five-star reviews will get read out on the show. We don't currently have one, guys, so drop a review. We'd love to hear from you. Right. And speaking of, you know, hearing from you, if you want to chat with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. Link for the Discord will also be in the show description. And speaking of shows on the robots, tell us about your other show, Shanko. 
So I also host a little show called The Fight Space, where I interview fighters, tell stories, and share the community surrounding the world of combat sports. I just recently covered Karate Combat 38 and had an amazing time. A huge shout out to Ross Turbo Levine, the middleweight champion, for his amazing knockout win. And if you want to hear all about the night, check out The Fight Space. Episodes dropping soon. Where else can they find you, Psych? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift podcast. It's a tabletop RPG that uses the Fate system. Uh, we are Citadel security agents solving crimes on the Citadel, and I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. We just launched a new case. It's a string of bombings going on on the Citadel. So it's a lot of fun, and episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month. And both shows are, of course, a part of the Robots Radio Network. And that takes us out of our mid-break. Alright. So, I've got a few. So we're going to go through them pretty quickly, and we'll discuss at the end about some of them. So first up, we have the Parkers, who were, you know, very much missing from the first three movies. So we should talk about them a bit. They were introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 5 in August 1968 as a flashback by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber. And then they were brought back fully in The Untold Tales of Spider-Man Number 1 in May 1997 by Roger Stern and John Romita Sr. You guys are never going to (laughs) believe what Peter Parker's parents are. They were undercover S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that died on a mission, and because they were constantly gone, they left Peter with his aunt and uncle all the time. So when they died, it just became Peter just lived there now permanently. I gotta ask you, like, how cliched can it get here? The son of super awesome spy agents is turned into a genetic superhero? Like, come on. Why couldn't he just have normal parents? They just, you know, died in an auto accident one day. That happens. That happens a lot. I'm not going to say every day, but, you know, often enough for it to be a problem. So, so why does his parent why do his parents need to have this giant backstory that's just bigger than life? I, like this is one of those like we created Spidey first, and now we're going to add all this mystery to him. Like, his whole life is now mystery, instead of just the mystery starting when he becomes Spider-Man. Anyway, thankfully, they've left the Parkers alone for the most part, after a couple of storylines in the 90s. We only come back to them here during a retcon, where they were turned into scientists. Um, that comes from the Ultimates line, where Parker's father and... Eddie Brock's father, they worked together to create the proto version of the Venom suit, and all four, um, the two, the Parkers and the Brocks, they all died together in a mysterious plane accident. Hmm. <laughs> all four of them. Yeah, all four of them on their way back from a a meeting with a potentially big um in- investor. Mm-hmm. They all died mysteriously. And then that, yeah. It's all part of the uh, Venom storyline in the Ultimates universe, so if you want to check out that one, it's uh, graphic novel number six, 
I recommend it. It is some of Bendis' best work on the Ultimate Spider-Man line, him and, and Bagley. So, anyway, check it all out. I, I recommend it. Next is Captain George Stacy, introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man number 56 in January 1968 by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. In the comics, Captain Stacy is actually a supporter of our beloved Webhead, as he is a direct foil to uh, J. Jonah Jameson's antagonism. Naturally, also in the comics, he figured out Parker and Spidey were the same guy, and things do happen that cause him to um, end up on Death's door. There's a fight going on, and some debris falls from a from a high building on top of some kids. Stacy uses his own body to like push them out of the way, shield them, and he ends up beneath all the debris, and it uh, leads to complications, and he dies. But before he can die, Spidey sees this, runs down there, and his dying words to Spidey are to keep Gwen safe, which they didn't really mirror here so much as completely just toss out the window instead. Now, the original has been dead ever since. Uh, there have been clones and alternate reality versions running around for years, especially after the kind of resurgence of using Gwen Stacy in the place of... Mm -hmm, Almost every Marvel superhero you can think of at this point. I'm not kidding. There's a Captain America Gwen Stacy. There's the Spider-Woman Gwen Stacy. Gwen Poole. There's uh, Gwen Poole. I mean, pick a hero. There's a version of her out there now. Speaking of our lovely blonde, Gwen Stacy. Introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man number 31 in December 1965 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. She was Peter Parker's first romance after high school graduation. Like They ended up at ESU together. She's also a science major. And she appeals to his intellectual interests. And they fully intended for her to become his like partner. However, they had also introduced a certain redhead between here and there. And, well, her popularity outshone Gwen Stacy's. And we're going to talk about the ramifications of a new character taking the spotlight from an older character in the second one. Because sometimes those ramifications are deadly. Oof. Yeah. And lastly, our big villain of the movie, Dr. Kurt Connors, a.k.a. The Lizard. Introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man number 6 in November 1963, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. So, way back in the day when he was introduced, uh, Connors was an army medic. Like he had, That's what he volunteered to do as part of his draft services. And during that time, he lost his right arm from below the elbow during a battle. When he returned to his normal life, uh, he became a genetics assistant, worked his way up, and he was obsessed with limb regeneration. And since then, his life has been nothing short of an unending nightmare, uh, similar to that of the Hulk, I would say. Like, the lizard eventually becomes sort of an alter ego personality within Connor's brain that's always pushing on him to let him out, let, go do stuff that the lizard wants to do. It's a constant struggle of, you know, 
intellect versus bestial rage. It's and you know they're both green and, and they both get super strength. Uh, not nearly to the same level as the Hulk, but you know some strength. Uh, recently in the comics, his wife died of cancer. Then he ate his son. Wait, what? What? Yes, yes. He he ate his own son, Billy Connors. His life, like. Connor's life has been a nightmare being the lizard. Billy Connor's life has been a nightmare living with the lizard. Just awful. Eventually, during a big event in the Spider-Man comics called the Gauntlet, which was set up by the Kravenoff's family to like constantly be pushing uh, Spider-Man to his breaking point, at one point the lizard came up through that and he ate Billy Connors. And that that ended Kurt Connors' will to, like, keep fighting, be a human being, all of that. Because he lost control, finally. However, later, the son comes back to life as his own, like, lizard monster thing. So, I, I don't know much more about that. Um, but that's that's been um, within the last seven or eight years. Um, and... Naturally, because of the lizard's propensity for being, you know, a lizard, he's kind of been a puppet of various villain team-ups over the years. If you ever need just a mindless meathead muscle, kidnap Kurt Connors, place a control chip on the back of his neck, and turn him into the lizard. It'll be fine. Because, you know, that's who you want on the team. Yeah, not that smart guy. Get rid of him. We want the lizard. <laughs> no. I mean, usually it's like Doc Ock or some other big brain villain, so their ego just can't handle it, almost, of having someone else of a similar intellectual level to them being on the team. No, no, they've got to be the smartest man in the room. That's half the reason why they're supervillains. Yeah, just get the lizard. But yeah, that's that's um, that's our kind of comic book canon here. Because, I don't know, that's... I'm not exactly certain why certain cho choices were made for some of these things. Like, obviously, they, they, did, they didn't have J. Jonah Jameson for the movie, right? So they stripped uh, Captain Stacy of his supporter status, and they kind of rolled in his foil to all of it. And, I don't know, I that was like one of the big drawbacks to this movie, is you didn't have J. Jonah screaming menace to society or or any of that like we we just we didn't get that part of parker's life it was all the sciencey parts of it and i that was a misstep i think i mean in a movie kind of i'm not say full of missteps but with rather large ones in it it's uh just kind of one in a dozen and it is such a shame because i think probably one of our better leading pairs spearheaded this film i really loved the chemistry between Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man and Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker throughout this film. They did a really good job working with what they were given and building a believable relationship between the two of them. And despite the glaring faults of this film, I did enjoy Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man because like you said before, he had the really sharp quips and the really great moments where, like you said, Andrew, or not Andrew Garfield, uh, Toby Maguire's was a little bit more flat. Yeah, can't really sum them up better than that. 
there are worse places to be than the middle ground, because this one definitely didn't fall as flat as some other films within the Marvel sphere. Yeah, that's true. Like, we're kind of harping on these bad parts, but, you know, like we said, had great chemistry between all of the characters, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I did like Leary's Captain Stacy. He served the purpose that he was given. And, oh, yeah, definitely. The lizard kind of fit into the mold of any villain will do sort of problem, I felt like. I like the chemistry between Peter Parker and Dr. Connors. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I do feel like, I, I feel like you could just keep all the good stuff with between, like, Pete and uh, Connors and throw in a different villain entirely. You could have made this about a, a high-tech issue uh, with the Vulture or... Or the Scorpion, you know, and mixing that bio and tech angle together coming out of Oscorp. Or anyone else, almost. And it would have worked probably just as well. They gave us like 0.2 seconds of the Rhino. You talking about <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll get way more Rhino in the next one. No, you're right. It, you're right. It could have been anyone. They could have been doing a lot more to set up different characters because i also feel like this film doesn't feel as connected to its sequel as the other spider-man films have yeah um that's yeah i i 100 because it the raimi trilogy really built up on its personal connections you had the relationship between parker and mj parker and uh either osborne um parker and j jonah jameson even like, you had all those personal dramas happening at the same time, and they built a, they built off of each other within the grand scheme of the three movies. Mm-hmm. This one didn't focus on those relationships as much. Like, it really nailed down Parker and, and Gwen Stacy, but all the others kind of, like, yeah, he had a great relationship with Connors, but Connors ends up in prison, so that relationship's not going to go anywhere. Um, he's disgraced, he's discredited, uh, and he has a pretendency to turn into a giant lizard rage monster. Like, that's that's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they torched that bridge for sure. We'll be talking about Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2 next week, and we've got a lot more action to cover with that, because I do enjoy Andrew Garfield's run as Spider-Man, and I'm looking forward to giving him his fair shake because I know that a lot of people are wanting us to talk about about these, and again, we, we always will. Yep. <laughs> May not be every week, but you know what? We're, we're going to be hitting you with as much Marvel content as we can in due time. That's the best we can do right now. Absolutely. I think enough has been said, and... We'll catch you all next week. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast 
for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And, to quote Stan the Man, Enough said. Hi, welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi. I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at 3 Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3 Thoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell. <laughs>